It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're a part of it tonight, and we hope you'll stay tuned. This is a listener interactive program. You participate by giving us a call at nine three one three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview. .com is the email address to use. This is the Virtual Bible Study for September 27th, 2007. My name is Jacob Gwynn, and my father, Greg Gwynn, joins me tonight. Hello, Dad. Good Jake, to be with you. Jacob, good to be here tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Glad to have you back with us again this week, and uh, looking forward to a good study. We are looking forward to the discussion, and we're looking forward to our listeners' participation, Dad. This program is better when we have our listeners joining in on the phone and on the email. We hope they'll do that tonight. Yes, uh, uh, we always are interested in the feedback of our uh, listeners. Uh, as you said, Jacob, I think it makes our program better. And we want you all to participate as you're listening tonight on a subject that we think is important. We're going to talk about worship. Um, Jacob, last week when you were gone, Chris Bates was on the program with me and we talked about racism. I thought we had a real good discussion of that. And if any of you who are listening didn't get to hear that, we, I encourage you to go to the archives. You can find archive copies of all of our past programs there. But I think we had an interesting discussion. We had a caller call in who uh, commented about different worship coming from different cultural backgrounds. And and we we commented briefly, but in re-listening to some of that, we may have left the impression, Jacob, that different types of worship, in other words, different people may worship in different ways, might have left the impression that you, we don't all have to, to worship the same way. I, I, what we were intending to mean is that People from different cultural backgrounds might the 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 uh, format or or the or the arrangement of the acts of worship might be different, but what we do in worship to God has been prescribed in the scriptures, and we don't we don't have options as to what are the acts of worship that we're to engage in in our worship services. But it's understandable that people from different cultural backgrounds might have slightly different style or form. But it has to be scriptural in content and true to the word. I have worshipped in different. When you travel around the country, you have you go to places and they worship differently than you may worship where you live. But following the same pattern that's in the word of God, we've got to follow that pattern, we believe. Now, somebody listening may believe there is no pattern. You can worship any way you like, any way that you feel. If so, we'd like to hear from them tonight, Dad. But what we would, would, would claim is that there are some allowances for variation based upon culture You've been overseas, and certainly you would worship probably some different things, that, uh, uh, different settings and formats in the worship over there, but following the same pattern that's in the, in the New Testament. That's right. And so tonight for our study, we want to talk about worship. We want to talk some about the what we believe are the five acts of New Testament worship. And then in the, in the course of our discussion, we also want to talk about things that we can individually do to, to improve our collective worship Make it better. I sent out a couple of questions earlier today to our update list, and uh, I asked the question, number one, what do you think is the biggest error that people make in regards to their worship? So what is the biggest error that people make in regards to their worship? And number two, what do you think is the number one thing we can do on a personal level to improve our worship? We want to get to that uh, in the course of our discussion tonight. We'd, we'd like uh, feedback from those of you who are listening uh, on, along those lines. What's the biggest error people make, and what can we do on a personal level to improve our worship? You know, as we talk about the worship of God, there are really, I think, only two alternatives. One alternative says you can worship any way that you please. And there are people in the religious world today who are doing just that. They believe there is no standard. You do whatever you want, however it makes you feel. If it makes you feel good, then that's the way you should worship. There are people who claim that. And then the only other alternative, I think, is that you follow the pattern like God has given you in the in the Bible, and you follow it exactly as he has prescribed. 
it, those are the only two alternatives. If you say we can deviate from the pattern at all, then we could do whatever we want. There would be no limit to it. So either we hold to the pattern that's in the New Testament or we can do whatever we want. I believe those are the only two alternatives that uh, are logical from the Scriptures. I think that's right. You know, the, the, there is an old argument that says that if we allow one innovation in any regards to our religious service to God, if one innovation or change is allowed that's not based uh, upon Scripture, then there's no limit to what other innovations must be allowed. In other words, if you allow me to change one thing, and I don't have any Scripture for it, but I'm allowed to change it, then how could I uh, resist you changing something else? And it just becomes a free-for-all. Once you start down that path, there's no stopping place. And so, like, like you say, Jacob, either we do it and we insist that it be done as the Scriptures specify or if we're just if we're going to do whatever we want, then literally anything goes. Right, and and anything is going in Nashville. Not too long ago, in a church service, they had indoor fireworks on the Fourth of July. Yeah, I, I I would hope most people listening to us tonight would think that'd be crossing the line. But if we don't have to hold to the standard and to the pattern of the scriptures, how can we say that indoor fireworks in a worship service are unacceptable? Yeah, well. Short of burning the place down, I guess they wouldn't have any objection to whatever you would do. All right. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. That's a toll-free number for you to use tonight. 877-381-4567. Or send us your emails to questions at collegeview.com. Jacob, let's talk for a minute just to get this started off. And again, get in here on this. Talk to us about what you believe concerning worship, worship innovations, the five acts of New Testament worship, and how to improve our worship what people are doing wrong in regards to worship. we got a whole wide range of different things we can talk about here. So give us a call or send us an email. But, Jacob, let's talk about worship and just define it. You know, I wonder if anybody spends time defining worship. If we understand what worship is, then that will almost answer the question for us as to how we should do it. Worship is a reverent attitude. This is a good definition, I think, from the dictionary, a reverent attitude which is expressed by a life of service and special acts of devotion. Actually, in the New Testament, there are five words that are translated from the Greek with our English word worship. The most common word used in the New Testament, I think it's found 60 times in the New Testament, is the Greek word, and I think I'm saying this right, Jacob, proskuneo, and it means to make obeisance to do reverence to, literally to kiss the hand toward. One commentator said that you picture a dog licking the hand of its master is sort of what that word literally, the, the picture that word literally paints. There are four other words in addition that I'm not going to try to, to pronounce them all, but they mean similarly to give homage, to venerate, revere, to be reverential or pious, to serve. Vine says that worship uh, he says this concerning worship. It may be regarded as the direct acknowledgement to God of his nature, attributes, ways, and claims, whether by outgoing of the heart in praise and thanksgiving or by deeds done in such acknowledgement. And so what it is is an attitude toward God that is then manifested in the things we do. Well, if I believe that God is the almighty creator of, of the universe and that he has... Uh, uh, the authority and the power to tell us what to do. If I respect him as God, then I'm not going to be out here doing what I want. I'm going to be doing what he wants. And to your question earlier, Jacob, we're just going to do whatever we want, or we're going to do what's prescribed in the scripture. Well, if we have a right attitude toward God, and that's what worship is, it's an attitude. And then that attitude manifested in actions. If we're going to hold him in reverence and homage, if we're going to, if we're going to want to serve and obey him, then that really answers the question how we will worship. You know, and this idea goes along with what the Scriptures teach, but if we were to say we want to worship God, but we're going to throw away everything that he said and every instruction he gave to us about worship, that wouldn't be worship. If We, we could call it worship, but it wouldn't be worship if we're doing what we want to do and disregarding what he said to do in worship. Uh, we're doing just the opposite of worship. Well, you know, if you just think about it on a personal level, if I was to tell you, I really respect you, I, I, I really appreciate you, I, I have a high regard for what you have to say and what you think, and then I just do the exact opposite. I mean, my, my deeds betray 
my attitude. And the same thing's true of worship. I say, oh, I love God and I respect him. I, I respect his authority and and uh, and all that he is, but I'm not going to do what he says. Th- those things don't go together. It just, it just doesn't work. Let us know what you think about worship tonight at 877-381-4567 or give us an email. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use tonight. Okay. Um uh, let's let's go on a little bit further here, Jacob, in regards to this worship, and and talk about uh, uh, what happens sometimes, and some mistakes that people make in regard to worship involve, again, as we've been saying, substituting our personal preferences for what God has instructed. You know that that happens a lot. People say, well, it's just the way I like it. I, don't, I remember once I had a neighbor, and I studied with him uh, on several occasions about religious matters. And he even visited our worship services a few times, but he was hung up on instrumental music. We, we can talk about that in a minute when we talk about the five acts of worship. He was hung up on instrumental music, and he said, I just like it. I just like it that way. I, when I go to church and there's not an organ playing, it just doesn't seem like I've been in church. It's what I like. Well, you know, if if when it comes to worship, if we're... If we're willing to substitute our personal preferences for what God has uh, instructed, then again, you know, where would we stop doing that? You know, uh, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, I like uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches better than I do that unleavened bread we use in, in the for the Lord's Supper. I just like it. I like peanut butter and jelly. You going to let me have peanut butter and jelly in the Lord's Supper? I mean, where would you stop? Literally, where would you stop if you think in worship you can do what you like and you don't have to worry about what God said? That would be a big mistake. All right. So I think it's very clear, Dad, we've got to follow the pattern. Yet so many people in the religious world today, it seems, are coming to the worship idea and looking at what it will make them feel or how it will make them feel and looking for a worship experience. We hear a lot about that, Dad. I think that that is shifting the focus away from the object of worship as the Bible prescribes it, the object of our worship should be God, not ourselves, and some type of worship experience that we should be getting out of worship. Yeah, I think so. And and uh, maybe the flip side to that, Jacob, is going through a worship procedure and just sort of doing it by rote or ritual, you know, not thinking, not not having any heartfelt involvement. So you're saying we should have a worship experience. We should be emotionally connected we to should our have, worship. Our heart has to come from the heart. That you know that uh, so so I, th- I think we can see sort of two extremes here. One is all emotion, no no care at all. In other words, as long as I feel good about it, it's good, and I don't I don't worry at all about doing it the way the Bible says. That's one that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is maybe technically doing everything exactly right, but not having any heart involvement in it. No 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 real service from the heart. I think. That's condemned in the Scripture. I think, actually, Jacob, there's one verse, or one passage, anyway, that would catch both ends of that that we've just described. Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. Jesus was quoting from Isaiah, and he said, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Well, notice the second part first. In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. I've always thought that was a very important verse because it says you can worship and your worship be in vain. In vain means worthless, accomplishing nothing, good for nothing. And you can direct your worship to God and it still be in vain. That's right. This is worship that was directed to God. Worship directed to God, but it's in vain. And he says it's in vain because they teach for doctrines the commandments of men. So that would cover what we've been mentioning, Jacob, about substituting our own likes and preferences for what God has instructed. You do it. Uh, you do your worship in accordance to the commandments of men, and it's in vain. But the but the first part of that passage talks about doing it without heart involvement. This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In other words, you could be you could be saying the right things and doing the right things, but if your heart is far from him, if it's not really from the heart with sincerity, that's not acceptable either. And so what you see is it takes both things to make worship right. You got to do what God says, but you got to do it from the heart. And the verse that ties that all together is John four twenty four. 
God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Notice it says you must do this. It's an absolute necessity. And the spirit, you, you must worship him in spirit. There's your attitude. And in truth, there's your actions in accordance with what's been revealed in the Scripture. John 4.24 says you got to have both parts of it to make it right. Well, I think we look at the religious world today, Dad, it's very easy to see that there are a lot of people who are worshiping in spirit. A lot of people who are very excited about their worship and uh, are interested in their worship, worshiping in spirit, but they aren't focusing on the truth, aren't focusing on the pattern and the way that God wants them to worship. On the other side of that, we can see some people in the religious world today who are worshiping with no spirit. Uh, you know, you I've heard some religious uh, worship services where the congregation was repeating some type of chant, just like a bunch of mind-numbed robots. I would say there's no spirit there or very little spirit uh, in that worship. So we have to have both. We have to have spirit and truth in order to be pleasing to God. That's right. Uh, I think we're up uh, to a break time, Jacob, but we'd like to get people to join in with us on this. What do you What do you think about worship? What's it take to make it right? What about the five acts of worship? What do you believe about that? What do you think we can do to improve our worship? Give us a call or send us an email. Questions at collegeview.com is the email. The phone number, 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. (laughs) And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock, it's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8 WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 128. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the virtual Bible study. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. Thank you for joining us on this important discussion as we talk about our worship to God. And it is clear that we must worship God with two components, two fundamental components, our spirit and our truth. We must worship with the right attitude, with spirit. And we must worship with the right components, the right uh, actions, the right pattern that God has given us in the scriptures. We must worship him in truth as he has instructed us in his word. Jacob, that an, another good verse that stresses the need for these things uh, being done properly is Colossians 3.17. It says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus is a statement of authority. We do it in his name or by his authority. We must do it his way. You know, I've used an illustration for years, Jacob, but I think it makes the point. Um, what, what if what if I hired you to paint my house? You're a house painter, and I need my house painted, and I hire you to paint my house. And I tell you, you know, I want the house painted white, and I want the shutters painted green. I'm going to be gone for a few days of vacation. You can paint while I'm gone. When I get back, I'll pay you when the work is finished. Well, you come to look at the house and get ready to start painting on the first day, but you say, you know, white is a very common color, and almost every other house in your neighborhood is white. I think this house would look better painted green. <laughs> and and a, if the house is green, the shutters can't be green. I'll paint the shutters black, green with black shutters. You ha- you're very sincere in that matter. It's really what you think would look good. But it's not what I told you to do. When I get back from vacation and you expect your pay, <coughs> excuse me, I got a tickle. Uh, am I going to pay you or not? Well, maybe. I mean, there's a slight chance I might like what you 
did better than what I told you to do. But the best thing for you to, to have done as the house painter is do what I said exactly the way I <coughs> said to do it. Talking about a house getting painted really chokes you up. It's just it? choking me up. Yeah. I think it's the smell of the paint fumes. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but the point the point I'm trying to make with that simple illustration is in in everyday activities, the person who is in charge, the one who has authority to say how things are done, it's expected that you do it the way he says. If it's your boss on the job, if it, if you're hiring someone to work for you around the house to paint or do repairs, the one who's in charge gets to say how it's going to be done, and the one who's doing it very well better do it the way he's told. And that's the way we need to understand our relationship with God. He has all authority, and we're to do it the way we're told. Let us know your thoughts at 877-381-4567. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com. Dad, that is true. If we're trying to please someone else, we want to do it like they would have us to do it. But many in the religious world, it seems, are trying to please themselves, and so they'll do it any way that they please, however it makes them happy. Yeah, that's right. But that is, as you said, Jacob, that is a problem with the religious world, uh, a failure to try and please the God of heaven who has the authority to say how things ought to be. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 9 Paul said, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel to you than that that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. If we're doing it to please ourselves, we're not serving Christ. We may, we may be making ourselves happy, but we're not serving Christ. Let us know again, 877-381-4567. It's a toll-free call. We'll pay the bill tonight. Join in on the discussion over the phone or join in on email. Send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. Jacob, uh, we might enumerate what we believe the Bible teaches as the five acts of New Testament worship. You know, there are some people who criticize us for trying to refine it down to five acts of worship. But if it's not five, how many are there? You know, to the people who don't like it to be represented that way, I've, I've actually read and heard people who say, "Oh, this five acts of worship thing—that's that's that's oversimplification," and and, it's, and you know, it's not it's not the way we should look at it or think about worship. But if there are not five acts of New Testament worship, then how many are there? There are there ten or twenty or I mean, how many? I think there are five. I think the Bible describes five, including singing, prayer, teaching. Observing the Lord's Supper and giving. So you're saying we look to the Bible and we see these acts mentioned in worship and no more. And so if we're trying to follow the biblical pattern for worship, again, if we don't follow the biblical pattern for worship, then we do whatever we please and no one can say anything about it. But if we're trying to follow the biblical pattern of worship, then we would only do the things that were mentioned in the New Testament as being done in worship. And as you said, there's only five that we can find. That's right. Exactly right. You know, some of the things probably uh, we we don't have much argument with people about, for instance, about prayer in public worship. We know that it was done in Colossians 14, verse 16. Paul talked about prayer in the assembly and even talked about giving your amen at the hearing of prayer in the assembly. We know that that's a biblical thing, and usually people wouldn't argue about that. I don't think we get a lot of argument about the fact that teaching or exhortation is done in the assembly. We know that the early saints did that. Uh, Acts 2.42 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So we we know that that was something. We know in Acts 20 that Paul preached to the assembled saints in the city of Troas. So we know that preaching took part. We have an example there of a long-winded sermon in Acts 20, verse 7. All the way to midnight. Uh we probably, the the other three things, though, we might have a little bit of, of difference in the religious world. For instance, think about giving. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2 says that our giving is to be done on the first day of the week. Um, might remind our listeners of that passage. I think it's a, it's a well-remembered uh, verse where Paul said, uh, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week. Let every one of you lay by him stores God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Paul said that our contributions were to be made on the first day of the week. Lots of religious groups, though, if they have meetings on other days of the week, will take up collections. In other words, 
let, let's say that we're having a Wednesday night service or a Friday night uh, some kind of a service, they'll they'll pass the collection plate and expect people to give. They'll pass the plate every time there's an assembly. But we would we would object to that by saying, where's the authority for that? I've got an, I, I can read here about the authority for a first day of the week collection, but I can't read about it being done on any other day of the week. Where's the authority? You're just being picky, though. Well, but the the point we were making earlier, if I'm allowed to change that and do something else, then, you know, what, why why can I object or how can I object to someone who wants to change some other part of our worship? That that may seem like a minor point, but it is the question as to whether or not we're going to do it according to the Bible pattern or not. Well, what, if we didn't follow that pattern, we would be saying, in effect, to God, God, you said to do it on the first day of the week, but I don't think that's a good idea. I've got a better idea. Yeah. But I want to call it worship to you, God, and I hope you like it because I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, well, again, that's opening the door to everything else if you're going to do it that way. So uh, what we're seeing here is that here's here's one simple thing, giving. And we can't even get agreement, get get uh, conformity of practice, uh, even on a simple point like that. Uh, another area of public worship is the Lord's Supper, Jacob. And we know that we're to do it. On the first day of the week, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 tells us that the disciples met on the first day of the week. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. And so we see an example, Dad, of the first century Christians meeting on the first day of the week to take of the Lord's Supper. Now, here's here's where we're going to run into a problem. How frequently... That was done on on the first day of the week or Sunday, but how frequently was it done? How often did they do it? Was it something they did once a month, th- once every quarter, twice a year, once a year? How often did they take the Lord's Supper? No reference to any specific day of the year, just a first day of the week, and therefore we conclude that it was their practice to do it on every first day of the week, and one way we can make that conclusion, Dad, is by looking over to the Old Testament, not Acts chapter 20, verse 7, but Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, when God gave instruction to the children of Israel, he said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And uh, since no specific Sabbath day was mentioned there in Acts chapter 20, or in Exodus 20, verse 8, the children of Israel knew that they were to remember the Sabbath on every Saturday. And we'd make the same application to Acts chapter 20, verse 7, since no specific day, uh, first day of the week is mentioned that Every first day of the week would be the, the week, the day that we should take of the Lord's Supper. You know, if you if if you were working for somebody, let's say Jacob, you're working for me, and we have some business, and I say, you know, and I'm I'm lining out your duties, and I say on Friday, go to the bank and make the deposits. Well, how how what would you deduce from that as to how often I wanted you to go to the bank and make deposits for our for our business? You would assume that that's something you do every Friday. Every Friday, if I just said on Friday you're expected to go to the bank and make the deposits, you would you would understand then that that would be Friday every time Friday rolls around, go to the bank and make the deposits, right? So. Why would we assume otherwise when it says that this was the practice of New Testament Christians on the first day of the week? Since no specific first day of the week, it doesn't say the first day of the the first Sunday of the month or the or the third Sunday after the full moon uh, following the spring solstice or some crazy designated day like that. Since it since no specific Sunday was specified, it it is the logical and reasonable conclusion to say that this is something that early Christians did every first day of the week. Now, back to what we were saying earlier, Jacob, we might we might do things, you know, in, in relationship to, let, let me read an email here we got from our buddy Preston down in Valdosta, Georgia. He says, you were talking about culture. I know some brethren in South Africa that would take the Lord's Supper at the same time after they pass it out and then would wait a few minutes before going to the fruit of the vine. So there's an example of culture and worship. In other words, they observe the bread and fruit of the vine, but there may have been some uh, uh, something different about the way, the timing, how how they how they did. It. I've been places where, for instance, everyone took a piece of the bread 
and waited until everyone had a piece of the bread, and then they all ate simultaneously. I think that's what Preston's talking about. I think about that's what he's talking about there. Yeah. And, and maybe the same with the fruit of the vine. Everybody took a small cup of the fruit of the vine and waited until everybody had theirs in hand, and then they drank of it. Others drink of it as soon as they – we typically drink of it as soon as we get it. But uh, they're still observing the Lord's Supper with the proper elements on the proper day, and that doesn't change it doesn't change what we're doing. And so what we're saying is the the five acts of worship are specified and they must be done. Now there may be some judgment exercise as to as to the the actual mechanics of doing those things, but they have to be done. They have to be done in authority with the scriptures. Thank you, Preston, for your email. Good to hear from you on the virtual Bible study tonight. What are your thoughts? Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com. And, Dad, you know, it's uh, it it makes sense here from what we've shown in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, that since no specific first day of the week was mentioned, that we should partake of the Lord's Supper every time there's a first day of the week. I think so. I, that's the only conclusion. To, to That's a defensible conclusion, and any other conclusion that you would reach or any other application of that that you would try to make would be pure subjecture. You, you you couldn't get you couldn't you couldn't come up with a defense of it. That's right. You know what? It's time for another break. We've been should say conjecture, not subjecture. Well, whatever. It is, it's time for another break. <laughs> let's take a break and let's ask you for your participation. Let us know your thoughts at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven or over email at questions at collegeview dot com. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hello, everyone. I'm Britt Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but he's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And welcome back, and do listen. Anytime you miss a uh, program, you're welcome to go back and listen to it in our archives. If you have an MP3 player or have a podcast receiver on your computer, subscribe to our podcast. Uh, you find out more information about uh, those options to you at our website, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We've heard from listeners around the world, and if you're out there, why not send us an email? Tell us where you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Let us know how you found out about us. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any question about anything you hear on the program and maybe you're listening to us in the archive, why not send us an email anytime throughout the week? The questions at collegeview.com with your question or comment. We can have a discussion with you privately over email, or we could uh, entertain your question or comment during the next edition of the Virtual Bible Study. So we hope you'll contact us with any question or comments you might have. Again, the way you participate in the program tonight is by dialing 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. As we talk about our worship, and as we have discussed, if we're worshiping God, we're interested in pleasing Him and the way that we please him is by doing what he has prescribed in the New Testament. We're not following whatever will or desire we might have, but instead we want to do the will of the Father. And so we must follow the pattern that he has given us in his word. And as we've also noted, if we do not follow the pattern, then there really is no limit to what we can accept. If we deviate in one area, we can deviate in as many areas as anyone can imagine. And so we have to be careful to follow the pattern that God has given us. In his word, we've talked about the fact that as we look at our worship, we must have five elements, we believe. We can look to the New Testament, find five elements of our worship 
that the New Testament Christians had in their worship, that being singing, prayer, teaching, the Lord's Supper, and giving. And those are the only five activities we believe we can find authorized in the Scripture. And we're going to go to Franklin, Tennessee, I believe, and welcome Jack to the program. Hello, Jack. Welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Hello, Jacob. Hi, Jack. Good to hear from you tonight. Thank you. I have a question, or not a question, but observation I want to make, and I want to hang up and listen to you respond. Okay. Uh, Regarding the Lord's Supper, we're commanded very explicitly to protect the Lord's Supper first day of the week. Uh, It does not say that you take it at 9 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, nor does it say anything about taking it once on Sunday. I'd like to hear y'all's comments on taking the Lord's Supper on Sunday morning and again on Sunday night if people were unable to worship. All right, Jack, thanks for calling tonight. Good Good to hear from you up there in Franklin. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. All right. What do you think about uh, Jack's question there? Well, that's a. Uh, we were talking earlier about the five acts of worship, talking about the Lord's Supper, talking about the fact that it has to be observed on the first day of the week, and uh, the logical conclusion is it's a practice that God expects us to engage in every first day of the week. Now, there there has been some controversy among brethren for many many years over what some refer to as a second serving of the Lord's Supper. Really, this is sort of a new thing because. In our modern age, we've gone to have an, a, a, an evening service on Sunday. That that wasn't typical in years gone by when people had uh, more crude forms of transportation and lived a much more rugged lifestyle. But since we have uh, many modern conveniences and a lot more leisure time than people used to have, a relatively new thing is to meet again on Sunday evening. Uh, when I say relatively new, I mean it, it's a less than 100 years old probably that churches have begun to have a second service on Sunday. Well, with that second service has come the question of, is it proper to extend the Lord's Supper in that second service? Obviously, there are many there, the majority there being people who were present at the morning service uh, and partook of the Lord's Supper at that time. Now we have an evening service. What should we do? As I say, there's been considerable controversy on that subject. It's it's actually caused division in some congregations. Um, uh, So we want to treat the subject with some delicacy. And I think that uh, uh, if a person has a conscience about this, that that somehow it bothers their conscience to be involved in that second serving of the Lord's Supper in a Sunday evening assembly, uh, I, I believe that we would not want to violate their conscience, and then we could we could honor their conscience and not insist that they participate in that. I I recently saw on the internet where uh, a preacher had posted a sermon where he said you 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 have to offer it and people have to take it. There's no you cannot exercise any personal judgment in the matter. And I would just I would seriously disagree with that fellow on that conclusion that he reached. Um, I believe that arguments can be made to defend the authority of the second serving of the Lord's Supper, if that's what you want to call it, or Sunday evening service. I believe that those of us who have participated in the morning can still be involved in the process of making that observance available to those who were not able to be there in the morning service. It's still the first day of the week. It's still within the assembly of the saints. It's, and, and it is still a thing that if we're going to do it, we all need to be uh, involved in we shouldn't we shouldn't have our minds wandering doing something else we should be paying attention to the activity that's being engaged in if we've already been served we don't have to be served again uh, but I believe that arguments can be made to justify that second serving uh, there are abuses of it I think a lot of times when you talk to people who object to it they object to it because that that, that there are people who abuse the privilege and I, I think that happens. You know, I mean, I, I think I know of cases where people just lazily lay out of the morning service, don't want to get up, don't get to services, and then they drag in in the evening services and 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 partake the Lord's Supper when they could have been there in the morning, but they, they chose not to come. That, that's an abuse. We're all against those kinds of abuses, but the abuses of the practice don't mean that the practice itself is necessarily wrong. But now that that's my view, and I'm going to label it as my view, Jacob, that that's the way I see that. Uh, honestly, if I had my druthers, we wouldn't offer it because we wouldn't need to offer it. 
because everybody could be there uh, in the morning assembly. Uh, but by virtue of the fact that you set a time for that service, if you set the time at 10 o'clock Sunday morning, by virtue of the fact that you have set a time you, in, in a larger congregation, at least you will almost certainly make it so that some can't be there by virtue of having set that time. And so to make the, make the Lord's Supper observance uh, available to them, make it possible for them to do so at a different time, uh, is an allowance that I think is can be justified at least by Scripture. But again, if I had my druthers, we wouldn't do it. it; wouldn't be needed. But that that's where I stand on that. And my conviction would differ from yours just a little bit. Uh, I would feel a little bit more comfortable not having it on Sunday night. But uh, I think you, as you mentioned, Dad, we have to uh, allow for some personal conviction there. And there have been some uh, even a debates on uh, on both sides of the issue. I, I think that. Uh, uh, there's been the point made that if you don't offer it every time you meet on Sunday, even if you met uh, during the middle of the afternoon in a special service, you would have to offer it then. And those type of uh, arguments just can't be substantiated from the scriptures. Well, I, I've known of brethren who want to divide on both ends of that. Some who say it cannot, it's a sin to offer it. And others who say it's a, uh, you cannot offer it on Sunday night. And others who say you must offer it on Sunday night, and that if a church doesn't doesn't uh, uh, offer the Lord's Supper on Sunday night, that they're somehow not scriptural, I, uh, taking away completely uh, the um, the idea of, of congregational autonomy and and the exercise of judgment in such matters. I I think that's wrong. Let us know your thoughts at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com. Thank you for your call tonight, Jack on the virtual vowel study. That is, we talk about uh, the worship and the, the elements that must be present in the worship based upon the pattern we read about in the New Testament. One of those controversial uh, areas is in the area of music. We believe the Bible does command that there be music in worship. Uh, the type of music that we have in worship must follow the pattern that we read about in the New Testament. Again, if we don't follow the pattern, then we can't say anything is wrong because if we allow deviation in any one area of the pattern, then all deviation must be accepted. And in the area of music, this is no exception. If we're going to worship in a way that's pleasing to God, we must do it according to what he has revealed to us. And the pattern that we read about in the New Testament in the area of worship is strictly in vocal music, Dad. No instrumental music is ever mentioned in the New Testament and so, again, if we're going to deviate on this, Dad, we might as well bring in the fireworks with our instruments because we can allow anything in worship if we deviate in the area of, of, of music. That's exactly right. And and uh, th- this uh, maybe, Jacob, there's more controversy on this single subject than any other, the idea of what kind of music that we're supposed to have in worship. Every once in a while, we, we hear people who will say, uh, oh, you members of the Church of Christ, you don't believe in music. Well, we certainly do believe in music. We believe in vocal music, singing. It's the kind that's taught in the New Testament. Remember, we're talking about the, the five acts of New Testament worship. So we're going to have to look to the New Testament uh, for um, for our authority. And in the New Testament, like in Colossians three sixteen, Ephesians five eighteen and nineteen, the worship of New Testament Christians was singing, vocal music. And nowhere in the New Testament do we have any indication of Christians using instrumental accompaniment with their singing everywhere we read about music in worship in the new testament it is vocal music you know if we could find one example dad of people worshiping with instruments in the new testament we'd be all for it and uh, as far as my opinion on it goes and my desires i think the worship would be a whole lot better with instruments yeah if we were doing what we liked i'd have a whole band but it's not a question of what we like it's what what the scripture teaches that's right. And we can't find any example of people using instrumental music in worship. And therefore, we conclude, again, it's just a matter of principle, Dad. If we can't find the example or any instruction in the New Testament to use the instruments in worship, it's a matter of principle. If we're going to follow the pattern, we have to follow what it says. And the pattern shows us that we only are authorized to use vocal music in worship and again, if we deviate from the pattern in the area of music, we can deviate in the pat from the pattern in the Lord's Supper and bring in the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that you mentioned. People have done similar things. But if we deviate in the pattern in the area of music, we can deviate in every other area. 
of our worship, and that simply is a, a box or a can of worms that we're not willing to open up. We may have some, uh, I think clearly we might have some people listening who would disagree with that conclusion, But and we'd be glad to hear from you. If you disagree on the idea of music and worship, uh, that you think that there is authority or justification for instrumental music in New Testament worship, give us a call right now. We want to hear from you immediately. If we're missing it on that. We need to know. So give us a call. Uh, we'd, we'd like to to hear from you. But the five acts of worship then, Jacob, and, and again, this goes to something that was sort of left over from last week's program. We may have left the impression from last week's program that you can worship any way you want, that different cultures worship differently. No, there may be some judgment matters in from different cultures as to the the expedience used or the methods or the means used to do these five acts of worship. But these five acts of worship have to be our worship to God, and they must be in accordance with the New Testament pattern. Let's take a break, and we'll go to the top of the hour on the other side of this break. But jump in with your comments now. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study continues right after these important messages. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931 381 Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. Hello, this is Preston Jackson from Valdosta, Georgia, and you're listening to the virtual Bible study. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And thank you again for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. This program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. To find out more about what we believe, visit our website, collegeview.com. Call us anytime throughout the week at 877-381-4567 or send us an email at questions at collegeview.com with any question you may have about the College View Church of Christ. And if you're in the area, we would encourage you to come and worship with us at your earliest convenience, where you will find the five acts of worship we mentioned tonight on our program as we talk about worship. We're trying to do that at the College of Church of Christ, Dad. Follow that pattern so that we can be pleasing to God because we want our worship to be pleasing to Him. We're not concerned whether or not it's pleasing to us. We want it to be pleasing to our Creator, and that's the object of our worship. Well, again, and if we've missed it on that, you need to tell us. We're we're doing it because we want to be right about what we're doing. And if we've missed it, by all means, tell us because we want to be right and do do God's worship, worship God, doing it the way He said. Jacob, we're in our last segment here, and we haven't got to these emails that have been sent in on what's the biggest mistake that people make. The the questions were, what do you think is the biggest error that people make in regards to worship? And number two, what do you think is the number one thing we can do to uh, to on a personal level, to improve our worship. Got an email from Roger up in London, Kentucky. Roger, thanks for your participation tonight. He says, I would say for both questions that the key is preparation. The lack of preparation reflects how worthless we regard worship. Likewise, the best way to improve worship is to prepare. In Exodus 19, the children of Israel spent three days just preparing to receive the Ten Commandments. We tend to view preparation as a five to ten minute task as reflected by comments made just before worship. I wonder, have you ever heard similar remarks made uh, as made before worship about preparation? Uh, Maybe for a Bible class, do we take Bible classes as less important? Poor preparation is a reflection of spiritual immaturity. Uh, If we do a five to ten minute preparation publicly, what preparation is being done at home privately? So uh, Roger's point is, you know, if, if we're not thinking about it and preparing it personally to make it the best we can, it's not going to be very good. All right. Phil in Indiana has said, uh, what is the biggest error that people make in regards to their worship? The presumption that worship is somewhere we are supposed to be or some things we are supposed to do without giving primary attention to those things inside us that lead us to bow our spirits with reverence before God. 
preparing the heart is much more difficult than preparing the schedule. And so Phil says that you got to have that spirit involved in your worship. As we talked about spirit and truth, Phil's pointing out that uh, sometimes our worship can lack spirit that it should. Yeah. When we said earlier, you got to have both points. We, we've kind of been stressing, and I, I'm glad for Phil's uh, comment here to to sort, sort of get us back to this. We've been stressed when we've been talking about the five acts of worship and that they have to be done in the right way. Uh, we don't want to neglect what Phil's saying there. It's got to be in the right spirit. And Phil goes on, what is what do you think is the number one thing we can do on a personal level to improve our worship? He says, quote, I think generally the answer is to live our lives in a steady, God-minded way. The person who tries to obey God, imitate Jesus, and appreciate his God-given blessings will find worship to be a way of expressing what has come to fill this person's life. And so Phil says that our worship should be a natural response to us if we have our life in the right, uh, live our life in the right way, centered and focused on God. Right. Um, Jacob, we've got an email coming in from Keith in Lynchburg, Tennessee. Keith, we're glad you listened to the virtual Bible study tonight. He says, people get too caught up in what do I want out of worship? More and more people think that whatever they want to do in service is what God wants. How wrong that is. I personally have seen people do almost everything in services. Where does it end? Do we have the authority to do anything simply because we want it? The one biggest thing to solve the problem is to read our Bibles, then take part in services according to what is taught in the Bible with proper authority, as was practiced by the first century Christians or practiced in the first century. He's making the observation we have made there that if you don't follow the pattern in every area, you might as well not follow the pattern at all because you can't stop once you begin deviating. Thank you, Keith, for your email tonight uh, and we got an email from uh, sarah up in uh, sewanee kentucky sarah we're glad you sent in a response to the virtual bible study tonight she says i feel our attitude toward being on time being dressed appropriately being prepared for class all of these items are thought process if we prepare in advance to these minor issues we better prepare ourselves to worship in spirit in truth I know everyone at some time or other has had an issue of being late, but being tardy repeatedly is not acceptable as it is not being prepared and being inappropriately dressed. So I, I think Sarah is saying the same thing that that uh, others are saying here, that preparation, getting yourself in the right frame of mind, even as it's reflected by being on time, having your lesson prepared, even dressing appropriately. You know, if I come dragging in in the same dirty t-shirt and ragged jeans that I mow my grass in, then somebody might argue, well, you can worship God dressed that way. Well, but does it, what does it reflect about my attitude toward what I'm doing? I think you can, you can worship that way. There is no stipulation placed on your dress, but there is stipulation placed on your heart. Those grass pollens are getting you choked up. No, is it the grass, I guess? Yeah, those ugly clothes. But no, the the stipulation is placed on our heart. And what you're saying, Dad, is that uh, our outward appearance can be a reflection of our attitude in our heart and uh, can interfere with worshiping God in the spirit that we should be worshiping him. Exactly right. Thanks, Sarah, for your input. We have an email from Randy in Jackson, Missouri. He says that the biggest error that people make is that they try to make the worship pleasing to them rather than pleasing to God. I think that is absolutely true. Uh, That is something that we see prominently in the religious world today. He says, what is the thing that we can do to improve our, uh, our worship on a personal level? He said, focus on the worth, worth, worthiness of the one being worshipped. Jesus said that we are to worship in spirit and in truth, the opposite of in flesh and in error. I like that observation from Randy. Yeah, I never heard it put that way, that there's an opposite to, to spirit and truth, and that's in the flesh and in error. That's really good. That just would be exactly uh, the opposite of that. Thank you for that good comment, Randy. Got an email coming in from, from Greenwood, Indiana, that says, one negative of the worship service is that some people go out of habit or that it is what their family always did. They do not have the deep desire to go. So uh, this email is suggesting the idea of doing our worship by rote. It's just the way we always did it. That's the way we keep on doing it without thinking about it. A positive aspect is to become involved in the service, such as singing, using the Bible during the lesson or sermon. Show others by your behavior that you're happy to be there. So, you know, I think that's a good point. Worship is not a spectator sport. We haven't mentioned that, but we should mention it. And I think that the email here suggests that. Get involved. 
In other words, we're here to worship. That's an action, not a, not a, it's not like going to, to watch a concert or a performance of some kind. You're there to be an active participant. You need to look at it that way. Thank you for that comment tonight. 877-381-4567. Plenty of time for your comments or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Gail in Columbia has said that a big error that people make in regards to worship is we forget how truly awesome and magnificent God is, at least to whatever human level it is possible to grasp that with our understanding. And so Gail says we need to remember the uh, majesty of the one that we're worshiping. And if we failed to do that, uh, we would be in error and certainly would agree with Gail's comments on that. What is one thing that we can do to, on a personal level to improve our worship? Gail says, I would think meditating on how powerful, wonderful, eternal, merciful, and majestic he is. It is easy for us to think of those things after first becoming a Christian or after we have come through a humbling experience or a tragedy. At those times, his praise is continue, his quote, continually on our lips. But it is we too easily forget because we don't think about him enough and what he has done for us, remembering that our sins were forgiven and and where we would be if they weren't. And so we appreciate uh, Gail for those comments tonight. And then one more here from Don in Antioch, Tennessee. Don writes, uh, what's one big error people make when their worship becomes routine, routine in time and place and method? Uh, Sunday and Wednesday at the church building, a set number of songs, 20-minute sermons, opening and closing prayers, variety of denominational rituals, and within an hour, it's all done until next time. I think he's saying there the idea of going through a rote or, or mechanical worship without thinking about what you're doing, and I would agree. On the other extreme, trying to come up with new and exciting ways to worship with bands, choirs, soloists, plays, skits, videos, dance, and waving of the hands. In other words, bringing in unauthorized uh, innovations. Uh, and I, I would agree with that. That's both of those would be big errors that people make. And then he adds, "What's what's the number one thing we can do to improve our worship?" Uh, and I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I'm following this, Jacob. He says, "Think of the building down the street as a convenient place to meet with people of like-minded faith, but do not limit worship to just that building because there's nothing sacred about concrete, brick, and wood." Do not forsake the assembling together at home or other places. And on the personal level, do not think of worship as something an individual cannot do alone. Oh, okay, I, I get. I see. I see. Uh, he's saying don't view the building as sacred, and I would agree with him about that. Uh, I'm not sure where I'm. I'm not, maybe not making the connection there on Don's email about how we improve the, the number one thing to do to improve. Uh, we certainly can worship. I think we can worship God or, or reverence him individually, but we can't deny the fact that we're commanded to worship God in the assembly as well. There's corporate worship mentioned yeah. in the New Testament, not just individual worship. And uh, we're commanded to do it as a group, as a, bo- as a body, and uh, we need to be doing that uh, from what the Scriptures teach. So thank you for your comment tonight, Don. I got real quick, got an email from Carnell who says, while I was listening to your show, you mentioned that the mechanics of the Lord's Supper is different for other cultures. Could you explain 1 Corinthians 11, 33 and 34 as it relates to waiting for another one another? Should we all wait for one another to get the elements before partaking of eating of the supper? Um, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, that's talking about the Lord's Supper, tarry one for another. We don't have time for the whole context here, but it's certainly in that context, Paul was talking about abuses of the Lord's Supper in the city of Corinth. They had even made it into a common meal, and they were they were uh, uh, rudely uh, excluding various ones, even from that common meal. It shouldn't have been a common meal. They couldn't even take it the common meal with courtesy to one another. He, he's saying to have a right attitude toward one another, but I don't believe that this is suggesting we have to simultaneously put the elements in our mouth. We, it's something we do. In union, in 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 the collective worship, it's something we do in in, in the assembly with others. Um, I think uh, uh, in chapter, uh, well, I'm not going to be able to find it, but he says when you all come together in one place to observe the Lord's supper. Uh, yeah, in chapter 14. Verse 23 is one place. There's another verse here in this context. It says the whole church come together in one place. It's it's to be done in the assembly. 
we're to we're to be mindful of one another in the partaking of it. But I don't believe that they, I don't believe that you can insist that it, we have to put the the bread in our mouths simultaneously or drink the fruit of the vine simultaneously. Because if that was the case. How would you regulate that? How could you be absolutely sure that it had happened? You might be a half a second ahead of me, Jacob. And does that does that throw the whole thing out of whack? Uh, the, the 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 logic of that would prevent it from being a necessity. I think it is reflective of our attitude as with respect to the abuses that were going on there in First Corinthians eleven as the reason why we should wait for one another. Appreciate uh, appreciate that question tonight. Hopefully that clears that up. If there are other questions about that, please. Let us know. But, Dad, we are out of time tonight, and we need to wrap it up here. But we appreciate all of our listeners for joining in on the discussion tonight. Yes, and we hope that you'll make it a regular appointment on Thursday nights to be with us for the virtual Bible study. And tell other people about to it. Tell other people about it, too. Spread this uh, news of this uh, weekly Bible study by word of mouth. Get others involved. Thank you again for listening tonight, and we hope you will tell another to be back here next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.